1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Wednesday morning, welcome in. Michael Phillips here, MP on the mic is the program. Thanks for listening to us live on 910 The Fan, 105.1 FM or anytime around the world. ...on the free Odyssey app. Good show for you today. Craig Hoffman joins to talk Commanders football. Mike Svetitz makes his weekly appearance from Front Page Bets. And it is a Wednesday we will play for the most prestigious prize in all of sports radio... ...during Hotel Pin Trivia at 10.45. But I want to begin this morning with what happened last night in the city of Richmond. And the voting down for the second time of a casino resort in Richmond. And I want to go deep on this for a minute because I live in the city of Richmond. I've proudly lived in the city of Richmond for a long time now, and I think people are mistaken in their takes on this and their reactions to this and what this is. So so a little bit of background first. Five cities in Virginia got to vote on whether or not to have casinos, and this happened a few years ago. The other four all voted right away. And all voted yes. Danville approved a casino with 68% of the vote. Bristol, 71% of the vote. Now, those places are not similar to Richmond, but these next two, Norfolk and Portsmouth, are very demographically similar to the city of Richmond. Norfolk passed the casino with 65% of the vote, and Portsmouth passed it with 67% of the vote. None of those are tight margins. None of those are close. Richmond was the outlier. When we voted on a casino, it was 51 to 49, and people in Richmond voted it down. So, as, as any loser would do on any playground anywhere in America, they declared best two out of three, ran it back, and last night, it was even less close. Uh, major turnout in Richmond, far above what they expected, and in the end, almost 62% of Richmond rejected the casino and said no, no casino, in Richmond. And that's what I want to break down this morning is the reasons for that and how we got here and what's going on here. Because you look at that and you say, well, four cities all overwhelmingly said, yeah, build a casino here. And one city, Richmond, said, nah, don't, don't do it. Don't build a city here. Don't build a casino here. And Norfolk, Portsmouth, I mean, both, both majority black cities, both demographically the heart of big you know, metropolitan areas, Norfolk in particular, very, very similar to Richmond. And they cleared it easily. So what's going on here? Well, you can look at this cynically, and I think a lot of people are looking at this cynically this morning. You say, it's a vote of no confidence in, in Mayor LeVar Stoney, and Richmond's the worst, and Richmond can never get things done, and you know Stoney's record on this is not fantastic. He's now missed on pretty much everything he's attempted since taking office. He missed on Navy Hill, on the arena. He's missed on the casino twice. He's missed on his big initiatives. For a guy who wants to be governor, reportedly, it's not a great record to run on. He got the monuments down. That's pretty much what we're running with at this point, if LaVar Stoney wants to run for higher office. You could say it's a vote of no confidence in Urban One, the company that was running the casino. And sure, they are being investigated on the, on the stock exchanges. There was the threat of having their stock delisted uh, for not having their paperwork together. There were the radio comments uh, a couple weeks ago that were reportedly uh, that were recorded by the anti-casino lobby and, and put out there. Kathy Hughes, the CEO of Urban One, some other co-hosts on station she owns, talking disparagingly, in one instance, using anti-Semitic remarks to discuss anti-casino protesters. And did those play a role in yesterday's vote? Uh, I think I think you can't diminish it entirely, right? I don't think you can just dismiss that out of hand. I don't think that's what's going on here because that didn't happen the first time around. And remember, we voted no the first time around, too. You could also say this is another instance of white Richmonders telling black Richmond what to do. That's certainly the narrative that was pushed last time in the wake of the no casino vote by LeVar Stoney and by his pals. And I'm not here to dismiss that narrative either. I just think there's more to it than this. I'm not looking at this cynically. I'm not looking at this as a chance to score political points. I'm looking at this as a Richmonder. And I I went to the polls yesterday and I voted no on the casino, as many, many people did. 62% of the city, very high turnout, remarkably high turnout. Look, I've lived in Richmond for 16 years now. And I don't live here because it's the best run place in the world. Because it, it, it's not. And I don't live here because the tax rate's low. Because it, it sure is not. I don't live here because, man, this is like the coolest, tippest, the best run place in the world. A lot of times, Richmond is not. But I think Richmond's great, man. I love living in Richmond. And I love that Richmond showed up and showed out yesterday. For keeping this city special. I think of the uh, the bumper stickers uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, Keep Austin weird. I don't know if you, if you guys know those. If that uh, made it out here. We kept Richmond weird yesterday. Richmond is a great city. Because it's cool. And it's funky. And Scott's Edition is great. And the bars in Scott's Edition are great. I live on Southside. I know you Northsiders have never been to Southside. That's alright. It's our little secret. We're keeping it to ourselves. We got great restaurants. I can walk to like five great restaurants. They're better than anything you can get in the suburbs. It's a great place to live. And it's a cool place and a funky place and an artsy place. And I think what Richmond said yesterday was, we don't want to turn into every other city in America. We don't want to just throw a casino in the middle of the city like every other place and go there and you know eat eat at whatever restaurants they have and, and mindlessly waste our lives away inside the casino. We like the character of Richmond. It was a vote for the character of Richmond. Because, I mean, goodness knows, there is, there is no trust in the government. Alright, here's the clip. This is this is the Richmond school board meeting. I send my kids to the Richmond schools. These are the people who make decisions about my kids' education. This is this is from Monday's Richmond school board meeting.
2: Enough is enough. Sanctioning.
1: those are people yelling at each other over over the policies of the day those are the school board members those aren't parents those aren't people coming in to advocate that is the actual school board discussing its business like it's like australian parliament where they're throwing shoes at each other that's what we're dealing with here that's what we're working with in richmond and yet People are moving here. People love living here. Our neighborhood's red hot, as it should be. It's an awesome neighborhood. And it's not red hot because people, oh, man, let's let's go to Richmond. They're going to build a casino. Oh, man, let's go to Richmond. They're building the same things they're building in every other city in America. It's not what makes Richmond cool. Richmond's cool because of VCU, because of the art scene, because of the murals, because of the great restaurants. And I think this was a vote to, to protect that, to preserve that. And this was a vote. Say, hey, you know, don't get that out of town money out of here. This this is a great city, and we're going to protect and stand up for the character of it because it is. I'll go to bat for Richmond. I'm here on the fan Richmond. I'm going to bat for Richmond. I remember. So I was I was at the newspaper. I was doing a story, uh, a column about the Navy Hill development and um, uh, the the failed Navy Hill development in the end. And I I was talking to the developer. Uh, who ended up being part of that uh, VCU health debacle, uh, the building they were building down there. And, and I let him know because that's what you do when you're a reporter. Like, you don't surprise people you say, hey, I think this is a terrible idea for the city. And I laid out why I thought it was a terrible idea for the city. And like, he was like, I mean, just super smug about it. He's like, well, you're an idiot, basically. Like, you, you, you got no clue what you're talking about. This is the only way you can possibly revitalize downtown Richmond. I'm like, well, I just have to disagree with that. I don't think that's the only way you could possibly revitalize downtown Richmond. So, well, what would you do? I said, well, since you asked, I I like to travel. I travel a lot. Uh, down in Miami, there's a neighborhood called Wynwood, and it it was an abandoned, like, warehousey neighborhood, kind of Scotts Edition pre-transformation. They built an outdoor street art gallery and festival. They have a contest every year where like the best graffiti artists in America. Come and like repaint the walls, and it, it's you know you can win money and it's a contest or whatever. I said, wouldn't something like that be super cool in downtown Richmond? like just fit the character of downtown Richmond? You're like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, basically like that that's terrible. And so I wrote the article and I wrote that, and I included his quote, and then I, I'm sure he had one of his buddies, one of the, the big real estate people in town wrote a big letter to the editor, to the paper, like, you gotta fire this kid, Phillips. Like, you have no clue what he's talking about. I'm a real estate professional. Nobody's ever gonna travel to a city to look at art. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever... The only thing people will travel for is arenas and food courts, which we're building. Like, how dare he suggest art? That's the most ignorant take you've ever had in this newspaper. I'm here today to stand by it, and I'm here today to stand up for Richmond and Richmond's weirdness, and I'm gonna keep going to bat for Richmond being weird, and I'm going to keep going to bat for keeping developers and their idea of turning this into West Broad Village East out of here. And that's what happened yesterday on the casino vote. He, th- he thought that was so ridiculous. It's just, oh, man, I, art. Nobody, nobody's going anywhere to look at art. Come on now. Come on. This is ridiculous. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, and, and Awan's mentioned this on his show, Um, you know, we, we stand we ride for Richmond. We stand for Richmond. We were out there at the block party before the game at the Siegel center, fantastic crowd, fantastic atmosphere. We need more of that and less of big ideas that will fix everything because you fix everything by bringing cool people to town and letting them do cool things block by block. I mean, Hardywood came to this town, built that neighborhood up, built a great brewery, Went to the city, said, we'd like to expand the operations. They said, go pound sand. They built a big brewery out in Goochland. The city gives all the money to Stone, which, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't think that's driven any action. I I went down there once. I've never been down there. Let Let Richmond's cool people be cool. That's my take this morning. And I'm feeling good coming off of this. They spent $10 million on that casino vote, by the way. $10 million on that casino vote to have it go down. But this is a chance. This is a chance to keep Richmond cool. And we'll open up the phone lines on that. If you've got thoughts, this is a call-in program. Would love to hear from you. The number is 833-804-0910. You're listening to MP on the mic. We're off and running on a Wednesday morning. We'll talk sports. It's what we do. Uh, we're back with more after this. But line up on the phones if you've got something to say. 833-804-0910. It's MP on the mic. You're listening to 910 The Fan. not one zero five one FM. 11 o'clock, Mike Svetitz joins us. He's with Front page Betts. We'll set the table for the weekend of action. And it starts tomorrow night. Tomorrow's going to be a fantastic night. So you've got uh, UVA Louisville football on ESPN. And I will be honest, that is not why I'm declaring this to be an exciting night. No, no disrespect to the Hoos. If they make a game of it, I'll watch. I'll be excited. Uh, I don't think... They will, though, especially given what Louisville did to Virginia Tech the other day. It's not because NFL football either. Uh, Panthers-Bears tomorrow night uh, scrape on the dregs of the Thursday night football bucket. No, what those two things are doing are clearing the table for number 3 Iowa and number 8 Virginia Tech in women's basketball in what I think is going to be one of the great, Early season games. You're going to get to see Caitlin Clark, preseason All-American from Iowa. You're going to get to see Liz Kitley, preseason All-American, Virginia Tech. That'll be at eight o'clock tomorrow. That'll be uh, that'll be on the es- uh, the Espindos, I believe. We'll uh, we'll get to the bottom of that, but uh, uh, that the it's it's on the Tech Radio Network. We don't have it here on the Fan, uh, but I I do know you can listen to that through the Tech app and uh, those means. I think that's going to be a fantastic. Women's basketball game Iowa at Virginia Tech down in Charlotte. Then Friday night they got a triple header of men's games. Uh, tech men playing down there as well. So basketball season alive and well and underway. It's good to be the Dukes. JMU is out there rolling after their win uh, against Michigan State. Was that we got a basketball bed? Is that what we got there? All right, there we go. I I, I didn't know the music was coming. So, so I, I was not ready for that. I startled
0: my man this morning. That,
1: that's all right. <laughs> well, we're good though. I you know I love the juice. You put yeah. juice on a segment. I'm 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 for it, JC. So we'll that, run with that sauce, Michael. That that is that is my stance. Uh so so JMU back in action tomorrow night as well. They continue a road trip. They are at Kent State tomorrow night, uh, as they continue uh their early season action. VCU Back in action Friday night, you'll hear them right here on the fan. Seven o'clock tip. will have your pregame and halftime as always. Samford arrives at the Siegel Center as VCU is looking for a bounce back win after their loss Monday night. Here was Ryan Odom after that game, talking about how that looked the cohesion did not look good. Uh and and he had he had some thoughts why. And we'll hear those thoughts. Momentarily. How much do you
0: attribute this this loss to maybe a lack of cohesion and experience as a team? I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that we
2: had we've had massive transition, right? But that's not the reason we lost. I mean, the reason we lost is because McNeese State played really well, all right, and they put us in a tough spot, and you know. Got a big lead on us and then all of a sudden we're, we're chasing the game and playing from behind and so not ideal we can't have those types of runs where we get down like that we've got to we've got to be in it or go on our own runs you know to where we're you know uh, separating from another team it didn't happen tonight and um you know we're, we this team you know has done everything that we've asked them to do from starting from when we first got the team together and we have to lean on our training um, and our connectivity, you know from here. Right? No different than have we won this game by one point and snuck it out, right?
1: Yeah, and he, he mentioned the the practice time's been disrupted. Obviously Max Schulge, uh has has had his injuries. Uh, he missed the black and gold game. Bear Stowe uh, has has missed time and will continue to miss time six to eight weeks. Fats billips who I thought looked really good on Monday night, has missed practice time as well. You've also got, as Zach Joachim wrote in the Times-Dispatch this morning, which I thought was an astute observation, you've got a lot of mixing and matching still happening out there and still happening out there live, which makes a lot of sense. He has not figured out, Odom has not figured out, exactly what the best lineup pairings are and exactly how he wants to arrange his team, and and, and get people going. Uh, you know, he, he had different people bringing the ball up, and at one point he had three guards back there that were all capable of handling the ball, and uh, as Shulgo was back there, Zeb Jackson, Jason Nelson, they were all back there. So he, he's mixing and matching. He, he's figuring out what it is he wants to do. Uh, my my position of most concern probably would be the four right now with Toby Lawal and Kwani Kwani, which I, both of them athletically I love, and I loved watching them in in the preseason atmosphere where they were able to get out and run and and, and flex. They they looked bogged down last week. That's the position where I'd say you most need to to, to tweak right now. But I'm not down long term on those guys as well. We talked about this the other day. You know, you can pull up Tuesday's show. We did our VCU post game. Michael Bell. He's a guy, he's just a guy who needs more minutes. That's all you saw out there. Christian Furman. I think they're just guys who need more minutes before they get out there and I, Samford will be an easier test, right? Purdue got him by 50 the other night. This is not McNeese State. This is not the transfer team all-stars. This isn't Space Jam where they're going to the big programs putting their hand on the basketball and creating a super team here. Cuz McNeese State impressed me. This is a team that's very beatable. This is this is more in line with a traditional first game. So so optimism for me for VCU Friday night that they can continue trying out these lineup combinations, trying out what's going to work as they get closer to a 10 play. Other major story in college sports this morning, the ongoing saga of JMU football and hang around into the 11 o'clock hour. We'll play for you comments from athletic director, Jeff Bourne yesterday as the school officially petitions the NCAA to allow them to play in the postseason, which gives the NCAA an out, right? He's Oh, well, you know, they hadn't filed the correct paperwork and now they have. The, 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 oh, you know, we, we've thought about it and we've got some new information. They're giving them the out. JMU's throwing them the life raft, throwing them the lifeline. We'll see if they do the right thing because it's becoming a national story. ESPN's talking about Barry Sferluga at the Washington Post wrote about it today. The heat's on. And by the way, I love this. Uh, Mike Barber in the Times-Dispatch wrote about Liberty football this morning, which, by the way, is just a very quiet 9-0, and playing ODU this weekend. Second worst schedule in college football uh, right now for, for Liberty. And, well, why aren't we getting the respect? Why aren't we? Why aren't people beating the drum for Because you haven't played anybody. Because you haven't played anybody. It's very, very different. If If you had kept even one FBS, you know, big boy, power five team on the schedule early in the year... That's a different situation. Second, worst schedule in college football. We'll see what they do against ODU. It'll be a fun game. His, uh, his quote from the Liberty coach was, uh, you know, as, as soon as we lose, you'll go right back to hating on us. Sir, let me just assure you, I will continue hating on you even if you win. That is my, that is my promise to you. You're an MP on the mic. We're not fair weather haters here. We're committed to this bit. You got to get to 12-0 and 0 before I'm going to flinch. You, you, got, you got so much time before I bandwagon. Don't, don't you even worry about the risk of having to make space on the bandwagon for me. You play that schedule, you get what you get. The point of the Group of Five invitation to the New Year's Six game is that it's a worthy team that we want to see play against a big boy school because that would be fun, right? And I want to see the Dukes against Alabama. I want to see the Dukes against USC. I would have a ton of fun watching that football game. I would have zero fun watching Liberty do it after running through Conference USA. And look, scheduling is hard, and scheduling gets tricky as you change conferences and teams change all the time. These things keep getting torn up all the time. But I, I don't see I don't see a road there to respectability for Liberty that gets them into that New Year's Six discussion, even at undefeated. Uh, even at undefeated. May, maybe they'll take care of business against ODU in an emphatic way. I'll change my mind this weekend. I always reserve the right to change my mind. Uh, But I I don't know that that's that's in the cards going forward. UVA, Louisville tomorrow night in college football. Uh, Virginia Tech at Boston College on Saturday. I got this one circled. Uh, Tech's Tech's three-point underdogs. That line's moving towards Tech. Uh, I really like them in this one as a bounce-back game. On Sunday, it's Commanders football. They're out in Seattle. Our guy, Craig Hoffman, we enjoy having him on this program. We caught him mid-move last week. Hopefully, he's settled in, ready to go. We'll dial him up on the old telephone lines after this. We'll chat Commanders football. You're listening to 910 The Fan, now 1051 105.1 FM. It's MP on the mic. Thank you for joining us on this journey. On a Wednesday morning, AWOD Radio takes over at noon. The big story yesterday, and it came out as breaking news during this show, James Madison and the Sun Belt Conference have formally petitioned the NCAA to allow them into the postseason this year, and obviously we're running out of time here because the Dukes would have to be allowed into the Sun Belt title game, which is about four weeks away right now. The Sun Belt has agreed that if the NCAA lets them into the postseason, they would they would preserve their eligibility for the game. Now, still some football left to be played. They've got UConn this week; they're big favorites in that game, but. JMU will be taking on App State and Coastal Carolina for their final two games. Neither of those are pushovers. Both of those are major, major games, game day style big games. You can imagine if they go 11-0 and into that Coastal game, chance to run the table in the regular season. But in, in sending the letter to the NCAA, the Dukes gave them what I'll call the Tez Walker out after the North Carolina receiver was denied his eligibility. And Eventually, the NCAA caved under under public pressure, but they came out and said they had learned new information in the case, and by learning some new information, they've changed their minds. So JMU sends the letter, they send along their evidence, giving the NCAA the opportunity to go with the new information route if they want to clear them. Uh, Now, I will note this is different from the Joe Bamisill appeal at VCU, which my understanding is is ongoing. The NCAA meets... Uh, occasionally, to hear appeals. They get through as many of them as they can. There was some news that trickled out last weekend on some cases they were ruling on. We didn't hear from Joe Bamasil. I've got no choice but to assume, as we are, are making this radio program here, that we don't have news on Joe Bamasil yet, although that's, of course, subject to change at any moment. But I want to play this in its entirety. This is JMU Athletic Director Jeff Bourne yesterday with the question I think a lot of people have. There's rules, Right. There are rules. Why don't why don't you guys you knew the rules. Why don't you follow the rules? Why are you making such a stink about this now? We'll play the clip uh, is a chunky clip here. Well, uh, this is Jeff Bourne's answer. And then we'll come back and we'll discuss MP on the mic.
3: I would say foundationally, wh- what's the rule put in place for what? Why is it there and why is it written the way that it is? it's really written to ensure that institutions have reached a level of performance and that they can prove that they can do that over a period of time. It's really designed for schools that weren't prepared to be FBS, either be kept from entering the ranks or forced to try in in a relatively brief period of time to be competitive. We've already proved that. We've met all the standards. We've proved not just in football, but all other sports that we are extremely competitive. In this case, I, again, as I opened, I don't know what more could be done on JMU's part to prove that we're not prepared to be treated uh, equally with regard to a bowl opportunity. There's just no other other reason. And I'm sure the rule is a good rule with regard to uh, having institutions determine if this is something that they really want to invest in and will make the commitment in to be successful. And for us, we've done that. We've proved it. And when you have a record the way we do this year, competing against the teams that we've competed against, I, I just don't know what more could be done.
1: That's Jeff Bourne. He's the outgoing athletic director at JMU, announced earlier this year he would be retiring at the end of the year, certainly a very distinguished career of service to the university and the community in Harrisonburg, everything they've built there from getting back to Uh, getting to FBS level in football to their success in basketball, brand new facility out there, Uh, tip of the hat to Jeff Boren, everything he's accomplished, and now fighting one last fight here with the NCAA asking for bowl eligibility for this year's Dukes. Now, there is the rule, and argument number one, right, is, well, everybody agreed to the rules. But that's probably an overly simplistic framing of JMU's relationship with the rules here. To me, JMU had the rules thrust upon them. They wanted to be FBS. That's These are the rules you play by. They agreed to it. They didn't negotiate this. Now, I, I believe part of what Jeff Bourne is saying, that the NCAA has these rules in part to ensure that schools are ready and have a transition period and, and get ready. I think there's also a chilling effect going on here that they want to discourage teams from making the jump to FCS To FBS, and a handful more have been doing that. And I think that the FBS schools as a whole would rather keep their club small and exclusive. They don't want lots of smaller schools jumping up willy nilly, uh, you know, maybe eating into the TV money, eating into the exposure available. Uh, They would rather keep their club small. And I just think JMU's an exception here in so many ways. JMU's not stealing any of the pie for FBS football. JMU's baking a new pie. JMU is creating alumni and fans who are engaged and watching. Look at how many of these Dukes games have been on the ESPN networks this year. Basically, they exclusively play there. Now, they had a game on NFL Network at the start of the year, a Mountain West game that was already obligated to a streaming service since then. They pretty much exclusively play on the ESPN networks. And that's not a coincidence. They're a great TV product and property. It's a well-coached team with Kurt Cignetti, Jordan McLeod, the quarterback. Uh, Their pass rush has been phenomenal all year. uh, And I I think we'll be able to withstand a a major injury this week. But with with the Dukes going to FBS, FBS is not lesser off because of that. FBS is better off because of this story, because of bringing those new fans into the fold. It's a, a big State University, you know this is this is years and years of, of connected alumni and dedicated alumni who are now in on this program, and uh, obviously nine and zero is really easy to get behind. But I think they've proven they've got a sustainable business model down there, a group that's very good. Picking out coaches, grooming players uh, to play at this level, recruiting and bringing players up through the roster. I think they've got a sustainable system there. The other thing is, it it is a two-year transition process. They met the full year two criteria in year one. And in doing so, they cost themselves a chance to play for a final CAA title on their way out because they announced early to get on a full belt schedule in year one. They're unquestionably good enough to, to play. They're unquestionably good enough to meet this criteria. They're unquestionably good enough right now to make a New Year's Six Bowl, which is not something that happens every year, no matter how good your program is. And to me, that's the urgency here. That's the urgency here for the JMU fans, for the politicians rallying to this cause. You just don't know how often you're going to have a season like this. You just don't know how often you'll have a team good enough that you can be 9-0 and in a really tough conference, playing really tough games. Look, a lot of these games have been one-possession games, have been close games. What what do we say historically? The, that luck changes year to year. If you were really good in close games one year, historically you will not be good in close games the next year. There's a regression to the mean there. And you don't know. You can't just say get, it, get them next year. One, there's going to be a lot of kids who aren't there next year. Uh, and two, that's that's not a given and never a given, and it isn't going to be a given in this conference. I think you gotta commend these athletes and the way they've withstood that pressure. That's a tribute to the leadership of the team, to Sinetti, the coach. That's a tribute to Jordan McLeod, the, the quarterback at JMU, that they've been able to withstand this external pressure, this external storyline that's been pushed on their season. Now, we we usually anytime we feel this guy say, Oh, let him play against Liberty, right? I just want to briefly go down the Liberty road here because that's a totally different story. Okay, Liberty cracked the top 25 this week because they're undefeated. They're 9-0 as well. Liberty hadn't played anybody. Haven't played anybody, Paul. They haven't played anybody. Liberty is a different story because we cannot conclusively say they are one of the best group of five teams. Not entirely their fault. Not even mostly their fault. You know, you can only schedule who you can schedule. They're in a dud of a conference in Conference USA. I don't think they knew it would be ransacked the way it was going forward. I'd love to see a JMU-Liberty game. That would be a ton of fun. I think Liberty's a great program. I think they got great kids going through there. The facilities are top, top notch, obviously. But we can't make the conclusive statements that we're making with JMU that these guys are the best of the best because of the schedule they've played. And if we've learned anything over the years, the top 25 is not reflective of Of who the top 25 best teams in America are, the voters a lot of times go for record. And and Liberty has an undefeated record, so they're in the top 25. And I don't want to take anything away from their achievements, but they're not in the same ballpark as JMU. They haven't played nearly the same schedule. JMU's got a win over an ACC team in UVA. They've gone to the West Coast and won. They've gone to a defending conference divisional champion and won. They've won a number of different ways with a number of great plays and great players they've proven themselves uh, in a way that Liberty has not. I am curious to see how this story goes. We'll keep following it, obviously. We'll keep our tabs on it. Uh, But certainly the the most we've seen from JMU, from Jeff Bourne, and from the university with that statement yesterday, with the letter being sent by them in the conference, moving the ball into the NCAA's court and giving them an out of being able to say, okay, we received this new information. Here's our chance to do the right thing. But they got to do it quickly. Because these big games are sneaking up, these App State games, these coastal games, and you got to know what's on the line. When we get back, AWOD Radio yesterday had a great segment uh, for Election Day. He elected the greatest active players in each sport. I will give you my take on that concept, and then we'll send you up to the top of the hour. AWOD Radio takes over. It's a Wednesday. You're listening to MP on the mic. This is 910 The Fan, now 1051 FM. This is MP on the mic on Sports Radio 910 The Fan and 105.1 FM. Okay, here's what happens every week. I'm new to radio. I'm new to this. When I talk... You don't hear me instantly. Like, you hear me a little while later. We've got a lot of things that happen. There's a seven-second delay here in case I curse. I haven't yet. I don't plan on it. It's available to us, though. We've got, it, like, goes through the wires. The little hamster's running on the wheel. It beams out to you, and then you hear it. Uh, and we, all of which leads us into the next segment, which is, of course, hotel pin trivia, which we do every Wednesday. And so I never leave myself enough time to, to do Hotel Pen Trivia, I'm like, we can just sneak in the question, get the answers. I set J.C. up for failure, so we're not making that mistake today. This whole segment is Hotel Pen Trivia. Cue the music. It's time to compete for the most prestigious prize in local radio. If you want to play, call in now at 833 804 it's time for Hotel Pen Trivia with MP on the mic. Let's play the feud, man. I love it. That's a that's a great clip. I'm so I'm proud of myself. That's old school Family Feud too, like Family Feud was in its heyday, a, a top 5 game show for sure. Lots of action, great show. Family Feud now with Steve Harvey is is kind of a joke. Like it, it's, it's it's an wild. attempt the, the problem with Family Feud now is, is everything is designed to get them to say, like, a sexual innuendo. And then Steve Harvey, like, laughs hysterically and looks at the mm-hmm. camera. It's like, we asked 100 people <laughs> what's something you put in your mouth while you're in bed.
0: <laughs>
1: Ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs>
0: oh, and it takes Steve, like, a half a minute to a minute to regain his composure. Oh, he, he can't handle it, man. He can't believe they said that. You can't believe it. Can't and then believe he'll say, they said that. You'll say they. You know they pay me to host this show. It's like yes, Steve. We do know that. Why that is traditionally how these arrangements, get back to it.
1: That is traditionally how these arrangements work. <laughs> Look at me getting this sidetracked again. I'm so good at this. Here's the deal. We we ask a question. You call in with the answer. The phone number is eight three three eight zero four zero nine ten. You'll talk to Josh. You give call him me. the answer. If you are correct, he will get your address. We will mail you. I will mail you a. Pen, a writing pen from a hotel I have stayed at. Uh, that That is the game we've mailed out to uh, maybe seven or eight uh, really happy winners. Uh, I don't know. We don't follow up to make sure they're happy. They get a pen in the mail. They can throw it away for all I care. Uh, that, that's how the game works. If you've won, you're not eligible to win again in this calendar year. Today's question uh, and we're t- we've been talking VCU basketball. I've been fired up for VCU basketball all week. Had a good time at the game Monday night. Uh, I'll dive into this. People who watched on TV are more unhappy with VCU right now than people who are at the game. There's a weird split. Now, I don't think the TV broadcast was, like, on point there in the first game. That happens sometimes. Uh, I don't know that the-, that the analysts were, like, digging the vibe uh, that-, that was going on. John Feinstein was on the call. Uh, who am I to judge the great John Feinstein? But... People who were at the Siegel Center, I think, generally had a good time, enjoyed being there. Uh, so that—that's the split inside the VCU fan base right now. That question's not—the question is not about that, though. The question is this: Which VCU basketball coach has the best all-time winning percentage? And so, obviously, Ryan Odom had had a shot at it on Monday. If he had won, his career winning percentage of VCU would have been a thousand, would have had, all wins. Instead, it is zero. He's all losses. He's never won. got a chance to go to 500. I think he will Friday night against Stanford at the Stew. 7 o'clock tip-off. But if you know the answer, if you know which VCU basketball coach has the best all-time winning percentage, not not most wins, but the best winning percentage, and and they're different people, then you can call in 833- 804- 0910. That number, 833- 804-0910 and you too can play for the most prestigious prize in all of radio. So we're asking you who VCU's all-time win percentage leader is as a coach. And I will tell you, Shaka Smart is the all-time wins leader. He won 163 games coaching the Rams. Shaka Smart is not the all-time leader in win percentage. He is number two on that board. So that is your hint, that is the question. Phone lines are up at 833-804-0910 and you can call in and give us your answer. Go for the win. Uh interesting story while while Josh Fields our trivia competitors here. Interesting story out of NC State yesterday. I was very intrigued by this. You know, we're all still learning the new world of the portals and the NIL and the transfers. So NC State, they got uh, the UVA's quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, transferred down there to be their starting quarterback this year. He has struggled this year. Uh, but MJ Morris, he's he's a freshman, uh, was put in, has played well, has led the Wolfpack to six wins. But you know the rules. If you play more than four games, uh, then you are not eligible to... Uh, to Redshirt. So you can play up to four games in Redshirt. MJ Morris, who has been playing great, he's the he's the de facto quarterback here, uh, said he's not going to play for the rest of the year and is going to preserve his eligibility in Redshirt, which is fascinating because he's got the Wolfpack rolling right now. They got to go back to Armstrong now. They got to figure something out. Now, his dad... Told WRAL TV station down there in Raleigh, he's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. Um, which was a speculation, obviously. Right? He's preserving his eligibility for the portal. He's just saying no. He just he's got the chance at the free year, the redshirt year, and he's going to take it. Which is interesting for the school too, right? You're 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 rolling. The team's good. Ah, you know I I don't I'm not going to play the rest of the year. I'm going to preserve my redshirt. Which is these are interesting things that are happening right now in college sports, and we're all. We're all navigating
0: through this. Josh, we've had a couple guesses. Is that correct? Phone lines are still open, folks. I had one guess. Um, Did they guess Shaka? Well, they they <laughs> so they guessed that while you were giving out that hint, so yeah. I gave them a mulligan. It's not Shaka. Still didn't quite get it. Guys, the phone lines are still open, 833-804-0910. I'm, I'm staring daggers at this phone line right now. I want someone to get this. It's a tricky question uh, because there have been so many good VCU basketball coaches. VCU basketball
1: coach with the best all time winning percentage. It, it's not not an easy question. I will acknowledge that. Uh, VCU basketball, of course, lives right here on the fan, 910 105 1 FM. Back in action Friday night. Uh, Rodney Robinson, Rodney Ashby will have the call AWOD with pregame and halftime show as VCU looks to bounce back and get right against our friends from Samford. Uh, which I don't actually know where Samford is. It sounds like a knockoff school, like a like a fake one they invented for a video game because they didn't buy the rights to Stanford. Uh, oh well, wow, Stanford's coming. That's cool. well, not we, not Stanford. Stam- Samford. We got we got we got Samford coming in. We'll figure out about Sanford. We'll be, we'll be ready. Ryan Odom's more ready than I am. I promise you that. I think we're coming up to the top of the hour here. We're going to take a break. When we return, Mike Svetitz joins us from Front Page Bets. He will break down uh, all the action this weekend. We've got a really exciting weekend of college and pro football coming up. Uh starting tomorrow night, UVA at Louisville. We'll see if the Who's can hang out down there we'll step aside we'll be back with more right after this you're listening to 910 the fan now 1051 fm 1101 it is a wednesday morning before you dial up mike's fetus did you want to shout
0: out the uh, trivia winner is that where we're at here josh i sure do actually as we were wrapping up that last segment y'all we did have a winner call in can you remind us what the trivia question was mike uh which vcu basketball coach had the highest career winning
1: percentage not most wins but winning percentage with the Rams the answer Anthony Grant
0: won 75.2% of his games in Richmond that is correct and that answer came from Delvin in North Chesterfield Delvin thanks for listening man congratulations all right another chance next week at 10:45 for Hotel
1: Pen trivia uh so it's it's tight competition which is why i knew this would be a, a tricky question uh, Shaka Smart was right there. He's just one, one percentage point behind Anthony Grant, so that was obviously a very reasonable guess. J.D. Barnett back in the early 80s uh, also had a very good winning percentage. He he was a 73% winner and Will Wade, a 72% winner down on Broad Street. This is MP on the mic. This is Wednesday, November 8th. I uh, got another good hour of radio for you. If you missed anything in the first hour, you know where to find the free Odyssey app. Hit the... on a Wednesday morning. This is MP on the mic. Once the show ends today, we'll buzz up to Ashburn, Virginia. We'll do our live from Ashburn show tomorrow inside the Commander's Locker Room. Always a treat to get to hear from those players. We will play their thoughts as they get ready for uh, a a reasonably big game Sunday at Seattle. Expectations are low, obviously, because the Seahawks are good. It's a road game. It's a trip out west. But an opportunity to get to even and be hosting the New York Giants the next week. And if if they could pull it off, you'd once again have a big November game against the New York Giants. We've been there before. We've seen that show before. They got to take care of business first. Nobody we enjoy talking commanders with more. Then a host on our sister station up in D.C., the Team 980. He is afternoon drive up there. Make sure to tune in this evening on the free Odyssey app. Craig Hoffman, what is up?
2: Nobody, Michael. Nobody you prefer to talk with
1: more? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You combine the sense that we have... The, the the print writers on the beat writers and I, I love those people. Those are my people, as you know. I came up in that world, yeah. and yeah. nobody yeah. like nobody's well sourced than John, Nikki, and Ben. I love having them on. They have great information, um, and I love having the radio people on. Like you know, we we get tons of hosts from up in D.C. come on. Scott Abraham was on the other day, and they they are entertaining, right? They are radio hosts. They know how to do this, and they're fantastic at their jobs. But you, my friend are both worlds. You have information and you present it in an entertaining manner. And this is a big... I'm, I'm just here to puff up your ego today. This is Craig Hoffman Appreciation Hour.
2: Wow. I, uh... I thought this was just going to be a funny bit that i was going to walk you into and instead i got real i I went fishing for compliments and boy did i catch something
1: you caught one you reeled it in there you go we'll uh we'll hang it hang it on the wall we'll get it we'll get it mounted Uh, (laughs) excellent what what are your expectations for sunday in seattle a game they are i believe correctly not favored to win but a place where they've played well historically and and a team that's not untouchable at the moment
2: yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I have no idea what the Seahawks are because I think they're pretty good, but then they just got housed by Baltimore. But Baltimore also did the same thing to Detroit, and I think Detroit's pretty good. So I think the conclusion might be that Baltimore's actually really good. Yeah, they are. Um, and, then, and then you kind of have to play it from there. I'd expect Washington to compete. And I, I think that John Allen put it really well in the locker room that the commanders really release the video and everyone laughs at the, we'll see you Wednesday. And, and he kind of shoots this look over Rivera like, Hey, you're giving us Tuesday off. Right. And we all, we all have a chuckle, but the, the more serious part that he, that kind of preceded that was he said, we haven't really put a full game together yet. Like the offense plays well for a little bit, you know, we stink. And uh, we being the defense as John is talking, you know, if, if you know, we're playing well, then the offense has some plays that they want back and, you know, can we you just imagine how good we can be? And he's right. The problem is, is that that's why they're not that good or why they're kind of average is because their inconsistency is who they are. And so talent-wise, I actually think their ceiling is extraordinarily high, and I think they can compete, and I think they can go and win in Seattle. Will they? I think it's probably unlikely.
1: The the consistency has been
2: not not maddening
1: this year. It's been maddening for four years under Ron Rivera. I mean, that. That's the, the bottom line is he's had talent and we see that he has talent, but the, this team just hasn't put it together and the losses have been so frustrating along the way. And I, I think that's, that's why we, we're all waiting, right, for this, November Ron Rivera surge, right? Every year you get that. They put it together, and we all have that fake confidence for a little while. And just just feels like now could be the moment. Um, Sam How looking a little better. The defense maybe looking a little better. Uh, like, it, is this the moment where we get the Ron Rivera signature surge?
2: It could be. I mean, that's that's kind of the crazy thing, and I think it is. Like sometimes I think head coaches get get stuff put on them that isn't really head coachy. I think that with Rivera there's just not the elite attention to detail and obviously he hasn't had an elite staff over the course of his time here that leads to the inconsistency in the play it's and we it's funny I just listened to and I promise that I'll bring this back to Ron and what I'm saying but I just listened to JJ Reddick's uh, podcast and his interview with Adam Silver and Silver's critique of like NBA color analysis is that it gets reduced to coaches uh can they motivate their guys to play hard and he's like there's all this schematic stuff that happens that i wish more people understood and that it's not just a a game of who tries harder and i think that is what often nfl analysis especially in the talk radio world also turns into it's like oh we can't keep them motivated it's not motivation it's it's technical and tactical acumen and the ability to consistently repeat it, which comes from an understanding of why you're doing the thing in the first place. Like they don't have great teachers on this staff. And I think that's why you see the inconsistency is sometimes the talent is overwhelming. A lot of last weekend, like they're just more talented than new England and thus they make some more plays and sometimes against certain matchups, like the things that they're doing match up well schematically and they can look really good against a team like Philadelphia, for instance, And then other weeks, there's just a total lack of understanding of what they're trying to do. And it's not that the plan was good. It's that they didn't teach it well to the players and they didn't go execute it well. They tried hard. They just tried the wrong stuff or didn't try the right stuff. And so I think that's the inconsistency. And it seems like the way Rivera's put it together, like it takes them a while to make those adjustments. They make them by November. They win a couple of games and then teams adjust to those and they don't have time to make more adjustments. And so as the technical and tactical stuff shifts throughout a season, he's not super adaptable to that, and neither are the people that he employs. And so, yeah, there's a great chance that they play Seattle tough, and you know they're, they're a fairly basic defense, for instance, and like Sam's done better against that with what they're doing offensively, and, and we'll see what they can do uh, against a pretty potent Seattle offense. Um, but it doesn't mean that anything's actually changed and the the December swoon will probably follow.
1: Oh, You just set your watch by that, obviously. That's a lot. Craig Hoffman from the Team 980 up in D.C. joining us. I didn't plan on making this a coach-centric chat, but I, I do... In light of that, want to ask you about Eric Bieniemy, who I think we both agreed in the off season was a really good hire and improvement for the offense. I think we, yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth here. I think we both see him making the strides week to week. At this point, midway through the season, what is your assessment of him and his future, both here and elsewhere, and as an NFL coach?
2: Yeah, I think he has done well and proven that he can be a pretty high-level play caller. I do think there is a stubbornness to him as a play caller. I've called it arrogance at times this year, and I mean that purely professionally. I do not mean that as, like, no. the enemy is an arrogant person who actually thinks he's better than other people. But there's just, like, a, we know better on how to do this than all of you when a lot of the data and the results suggest otherwise at times, and... I think what you've seen in the last couple of weeks is uh maybe i don't know whether it's a relaxation of that stubbornness or just the natural growth of he's this is his first time doing this it's first time working with this group of players and it's gonna be some level of a process and i think at times it's frustrating because it seems like from the outside you know they make the adjustments that a lot of people are yelling for whether it's more from under center using a fullback with with alex arma whether it's running the ball a little bit more, although they didn't really run it a ton, not last weekend, but the threat of running it is there. And some of the things they're doing are, are leading to that. Um, And it's like, well, why couldn't you just do it three weeks sooner? Like what was stopping you? And um, you know, it, it, I think there's probably, they put so much work in the off season to building up to a certain way that they want to give that way a chance. And I understand that um, as well. So long meandering way to say, I think the enemy has shown uh, well. Um, He clearly understands how to move the ball. He clearly understands how to get the ball in playmakers hands. I think he has gotten more quarterback friendly to Sam as the year has gone, as he's learned what Sam does well and does not. I still think some of that stubbornness um, is there, but he's also got eight more games to, to be more adaptable, be more adjustable. And I, as far as what it means for him in the future, If Sam plays really well, I think it's going to be really hard to split those guys up. Um, But at the same time, I could also see Josh Harris just saying, look, we want a full, clean slate start, and we're not going to – whether that's, you know, we don't want to keep you as the head coach or we don't want to make the next head coach keep you, and there's enough people off the Andy Reid tree and enough people that – no kind of a similar West Coast system that we wouldn't making, be making Sam completely start over that we don't want to leave them with you have to keep this guy. So um, I, he'll have a job next year, whether it's here as an OC or a head coach or whether it's somewhere else as an OC or head coach. I think it's too early to really have a great feel on that. But I, I would be stunned if he doesn't have a job next year.
1: Yeah, and he also still has, you know, the, the second half of the season where he's running downhill and, and he's experienced. Totally. I, I'll sneak in one more question here with Craig Hoffman before the break, which is that a lot of the critique of him has been he throws the ball too much, he's leaning on Sam Howell too much, but also he arrived here and the first thing the head coach said to him was, develop this guy. It, you know, Get this guy going. It, it's hard to blame him for using that guy too much then, essentially.
2: Um, I I think yes, on like a big picture level, but I also think that like it's their jobs to be the expert and as an expert, they should know that the best way to develop a young quarterback isn't to overload him. Like you want to give him the tools to succeed and you want to set set him up for success. And I think that there is a world uh, and the world is the real world where you don't ask this guy to do quite as much. And that actually helps his development. Like, winning football games is the best thing Sam Howell can do. And I'm not saying you go the full, like, Tommy DeVito treatment where you literally don't let him throw the football um, like they did a couple weeks ago in New York, which was funny this weekend. It's like, oh, okay, he's really going to be our quarterback, so I guess Tommy DeVito gets to throw it 20 times. (laughs) But, like, I'm not saying you do that, but, I mean, like, 50 five straight dropbacks in that one game or, you know, some of these, these passing totals I think are a bit much. Um, and it's actually not good for Sam because you're you're overexposing him. And I will say this quickly: I think they've done a good job of giving him more tools the last couple of weeks to solve problems. He's doing way more adjusting at the line, and it seems like he has a little bit of freedom, which I think is an encouraging sign for EB and for Sam moving forward.
1: No doubt. Always appreciate uh, having Craig Hoffman on the program. I will be joining him next Monday, and I will not be in Seattle. I'll be enjoying it on television like everybody else, but we'll we'll still check in on Monday, and uh, I'll give my thoughts on the game in the 5 o'clock hour up there on the Team 980. We'll get Craig back here next week. Enjoy your day, and uh, Commander's News, uh, newsy day. Uh, we'll see, uh, see what you have to talk about this afternoon. Thank
2: you, sir, and a shame that you're going to have to make your own coffee instead of going to the Starbucks in the press box in Seattle.
1: It, it's, uh, it's, it's a thing. It's a, it's a real thing. Craig Hoffman, there he goes. I'm going to miss a lot of things about Seattle. That, that's a quality trip we got to step
0: aside back with more after this you're listening to 910 the fan not 105.1 fm this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget